you for joining me for Booking. I am your host, T.A. Walker, and I want to introduce this podcast episode by sharing with you how I want to approach this podcast. I've been a book lover ever since I could read, and I call myself a bookie, not only for my love of reading, especially reading good stories. But I like the fact that this play on words means that there's a bit of a gamble. And reading has become that for me. In today's market, you can absolutely judge a book by its cover, which is the one thing that a lot of people would discourage you from doing, prejudging. But I found that a lot of times the cover will tell me, if not the story, the theme of the story. And that may seem obvious because it's the title after all. But what I mean by that is there are certain messages that are sanctioned now as being acceptable or unacceptable or moving forward or progressing or any of those nice little words you want to put on it. But it has left me, the avid reader, in a position where books aren't what they used to be for me. So this podcast will be my attempt to bring to you the books that I can find, books that I hope I will enjoy, And those that aren't as enjoyable, hopefully I can save you from the cringe. Or maybe you want to go and experience it firsthand for yourself. But that is the overall theme of this podcast. So what I will be offering you and your listening ears is just a peek into stories In this technologically drunken age, there isn't um, necessarily only one way to do things. When it comes to reading as a medium, you have several different options. And I see and have been well aware for a very long time that the audio aspect of reading is where some people's comfort level lies. So if you don't find yourself a person who either has time or likes to sit down and toil over hundreds of thousands of words, then maybe you will find my podcast a place where you can be entertained if by nothing else, the telling of a story. So without further ado, let's get into the very first book that I have for you today. And that book is called Recursion by Blake Couch. Blake Couch is an author I discovered, I can't tell you how many years ago, 
but I enjoy his writing style. If you are not familiar with the name Blake Couch, then the best way I can describe his writing is extremely tactical, extremely to the point. Um, he, what genre of books does he write? It's really hard to say. You could say sci-fi. You could say psychological thrilling. You could say many different things. But what I like about Blake Couch is that when I purchase a book from him, when I download a book from him, I never know what I am going to get. I like that in an author. And he tends to deliver on that front. So recursive means repetition. And what you're going to find pretty quickly, I'd say about the first, before the first quarter of the book is completed, you should notice this recursiveness. And the recursiveness incurs because a team of scientists discover the ability to jump into different segments of time in a person's life. And I suppose I could have taken a shortcut there and said time travel. But with the way that the book is descriptive of the scientific process of quantum mechanics that they are diving into, it's hard to call it time travel. So the best way I can describe it is memory travel. Uh, the two lead characters, the woman, her name is Helena Smith and the man's name is Barry. And Helena is a woman who is in her late 20s and she is a scientist and she has entered into this particular let's say um invention because her mother as well as many other people in the United States and all over the world they are being inflicted with this virus and this virus incapacitates them it disallows them to retain the memories of their lives and it, it takes them to the position of finally not being able to remember anything now how does this differentiate a person from Alzheimer's well from my estimation it appears that it takes everything so where an Alzheimer's patient will come to a place where he or she can't remember those people most in intimately acquainted with them or their you know short-term memories but perhaps they may remember and function within some abstract set of 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 reference points in their brains this particular strain of uh, sickness 
disallows that person from having memories at all. So I would assume that a person with Alzheimer's, and I don't have a lot of experience with Alzheimer's, so excuse me for my lack of knowledge on that point, but it would it would seem that Alzheimer's Alzheimer's uh, individuals that they have some type of memories. It's just you know that short term memory loss is quite evident and whatever memories they do retain don't seem to have the level of cohesion that a person who we consider to have a healthy brain or a healthy aged brain has. Nevertheless, she is a scientist, a physicist, and she is in this project so that she can bring her mother back. She is a mama's girl which I find interesting. Um, and I don't know why I find that interesting, but, it, I, you know, the woman seems to be extremely self-sufficient in her attitude toward life, but she's a mama's girl. And it's just not very often that I read a lot of books about mama's girls. Like, I'm not going to say that they're killing their moms in the stories that I read, but most fiction has a lot of contention between parents and children. And it's, I don't know if I want to say refreshing, but it's interesting how far she's willing to go to gain, re, try to help her mother regain her memories. Then we have Barry. Their stories run parallel to each other until the point in the story where they intersect. And the way that they intersect is the fact that Helena and Barry are married. And they're, they're married, but they have to meet. And this process of jumping memories, and it's so recursive, meaning that it happens so many times, that once they eventually meet, there's so many different things in between them that it's difficult to it's difficult to see how they collide in the story until you, until you're reading it so deeply that you realize that wow wait a minute this is they're married that that was my perspective after a certain point i was like wow they're married but Nevertheless, Barry, he has um, an ex-wife and he has a memory that haunts him. And that memory is the death of his teenage daughter. He, and the details fail me here, but one way or the next, he was... A test subject let's say for this particular experiment and he was selected to be able to travel his memories and obviously he was successfully able to travel his memories and it took him to the time when his daughter the day that his daughter was to die but because he was able to jump his memories, he was able to get in and intervene and change her, her death. So 
she did not die on that day. But as many things, if not everything in life, there is an effect to the cause. So the downfall of jumping memories is that when you get in there and you alter memories, or so you think, it does not mean that that memory no longer exists. And this is where quantum mechanics and physics and philosophy and some of these other heavily scientific concepts begin to merge because his daughter didn't die on that day. But as time wore on and he was he was able to go back in his memory to the day that his daughter was supposed to die. He was able to avert that death and he was able to live his life as if his daughter had lived and as if his ex-wife had stayed because she divorced him soon after for the reasons that, you know, are not so clear in the book, but they did not survive. Nevertheless, he was able to live his life as if he was still married still with a child that was surviving now as time wore on his daughter began to have memories of her death and those were what she would consider nightmares then his ex-wife started to have notions that her daughter died and it was so graphic and so detailed that it was affecting her ability to live you know her life peacefully and then he would have friends that would come and say hey I had a dream that your daughter died the way she actually died so the fact that they that he jumped memories and averted her death did not mean that she was not going to have that as an attachment to her again this book is you know science dense and a lot of the concepts are very interesting. Nevertheless, not only, well, let's, let me stay here. The daughter eventually did not want to cope with life anymore because she translated from those memories of death that she is not supposed to be here. It resounded with her that, that strongly that, she actually did begin to feel like she cheated death and so she killed herself. So not only was that a devastating effect for Barry's life and the life of the people who knew them, but that particular instance of effect was happening all over the world. So any conflict, any major terroristic act, any, anything that happened in life, it was being affected on everybody in the population. So things that were being circumvented, people who were jumping time, etc., it would be laid on the conscience of people as a whole what happened. So it was almost like, I believe that they were trying to, he was trying to maybe elucidate that not only does every cause have an effect, but that effect 
will touch everybody in one way or the next. And when it came, when it came down to uh, global events, everybody felt that. And even when those things were localized, uh, people that were in that circle, even six degrees worth, were affected by it. So this book explores the way that the human mind perceives time, perceives and processes time. And normally I would love a book like this, but the actions of the scientists hit so close to home as in the current events of the world now, that it was really hard for me to escape. And I hate saying that because I like Blake Couch's work. And I didn't look and see what year he wrote this book, but I'm sure that it's not his fault (laughs) that the world decided to fold in on itself when his book was released. Nevertheless, this book had me in a, state of fear is too strong of a word but I had a sense of apprehension the entire time it was the that was the undercurrent the whole time I was reading this book because it really gave you a distinctive and a bird's eye view into the minds of people that consider themselves scientists now this is fiction and I do realize that the drama factor is is pushed to the limit when you are creatively writing. Yet, some of the parallels in this book are extremely relevant. And when I read, I just don't want to be reminded of real life. And th- that is a, a very tough dichotomy to even explain. Because when you read a book, especially when it's nonfiction... The only way that you can connect to the book is if it connects to you on a human level. So something has to ring true in the book. But at the same time, I don't like feeling as though I'm reading an article or the newspaper. Since those don't exist anymore, I'm going to still say newspaper. But nevertheless, he is not a bad author. And I hate even saying this about his work, but... It was so close to home that it almost felt like something that you were reading online. You know, the next place scientists have come and their ability to, you know, rewire or affect or uh, introduce. And I think that if I have to give a compliment here, I think he did an excellent job of showing that there is a such thing as too far. No matter where your ideological, you know, boundaries exist, there is a such thing as too far. Even a good thing, you can have too much of it. So what's a good thing you can have too much of, you know, exercise is healthy, but too much, now you have a problem. Eating nutritionally is healthy, but if you do it too much, there's a problem. As in, if you eat too much of it, you're still stuffing yourself just run the gamut and I think he he really highlighted the fact that 
there ought to be, you know, I don't want to say that there ought to be a limit. But what I'm trying to describe here is that people seem to have some level of insatiability when it comes to their desire to push it a little bit further, a little bit further, a little bit further. And no matter how many warning signs are there along the way, we seem to be hell-bent on pushing things over the edge. And I just thought that where I did not like the fact that it hit so close to home, it really did highlight that where we find out many things and can prove and observe many things using our scientific abilities, that those scientific abilities can also become a weapon that we use against ourselves. And when when science becomes a weapon that we are using, you know, when it becomes a double-edged sword and it's something that is inflicting pain back on ourselves, not only do we need to take heed at that point, but we need to be able to see the red flags before it gets that far. And I'm sure that by now we've already pushed things over the edge but I think this book is good for that for that highlight so would I recommend this book yes but I would only recommend this book for a person who enjoys discussion and and contemplation about quantum mechanics and physics and and all those kind of things I find it interesting um to consider what he wrote about the way that the the scientists in the book describe time. Now, this could be something that is already in popular um, publications and peer-reviewed, you know. This could be something that's already common parlance, you know, in scientific circles, but it was one of the first times that I was exposed to the two descriptions of time that said that Basically, time is not confined within a past, present, or a future. And that time is is rather continual. And that time is all the same due to the fact that the brain is incapable of differentiating the difference between today and 500 years ago. And I find that extremely interesting I mean, that can just take you down a rabbit hole. But to think that now the brain today would not see any different between 500 years ago. And I don't mean the obvious differences because of plumbing and technological advancement. But I mean, just the brain does not see time as this was in the past and this is the present and this is the future. And I thought that was interesting. And the more you read the book maybe you'll see that point clearer than I'm explaining it. I also found the descriptions about the brain uh, during the process of death extremely interesting because basically when a person passes away, their brain is drowned in DMT. And DMT is the substance that is found in uh, psychedelic drugs. So psychedelic drugs are pleasurable to obviously 
to a person who is engaging in that drug and to think that when you die your brain is flooded with the DMT now it could be one of those situations where you know exercise is good but too much and you have a disorder like it could be that way you know a little DMT is good but a whole lot is poison you know and that may be it but I chose to consider that a flood of DMT to the brain could lend an extremely pleasurable experience when you die, which again is my just my imagination running wild. But it really made me consider or reconsider that death may not be a one hundred percent painful, awful experience. It could be something that has pleasurable and displeasure and disclaimer here i'm not saying that you know you need to go and test this theory i'm just saying that it seemed like the descriptions in the book made that sound like something that wasn't necessarily altogether painful so there is a happily ever after or better said there's a hundredth chance um despite the events of Barry's life. By the end of the book, he seems to have come to terms with the bad in his life. Um, at the beginning of the book, his the death of his daughter and the dissolution of his marriage were two monkeys on his back that he could not shake. It, it was just like everything, everything else in, for the remainder of his life, everything else that he was living in his life was, was colored by that pallor and by the end of the book he came 360 with it he didn't enjoy it but he understood that he was to take the good out of what happened regardless of what bad happened he was also able to stop one of the lead scientists who was successfully able to get that um, memory jumping chair he was able to stop him from actually succeeding. And he also was able to meet his wife, his future second wife. He was able to meet her again. And the wonderful thing about it was that this time there wasn't, you know, the world ending standing between them. So those that hate cliffhangers are going to misinterpret that last line in the book and they are going to be let down. But given the nature of the story, if you step back and really think about the way the whole story was written, I appreciate the author for trusting my imagination. The end is open and it needs to be open because after everything that happened in the book, I think that the open endedness was the only way he could do it especially because his book had brevity I brevity is one of is becoming one of my favorite attributes in a book I've never considered this attribute before as one of my reasons for liking a book before but now and I don't mean before as in just before this book but I mean for a while now brevity has be become one of the things that I love about, you know, current aged books, if a book is brief, and by brief, I don't necessarily mean short, but get to the point, get in there and get out. 
and I don't have a short attention span necessarily. I mean, if the, if the story is good enough and and you're you are skillful enough to drag a story on for a long time, I guess I'll be there for it, but I appreciated Blake's brevity and the parts or the 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 read, the vibe when I was reading was tolerable because the book got in there told the story got to the point and got out and I think that was nice so that will conclude my review of recursion by Blake Couch there were some spoilers in there and for those who don't like spoilers I hate that uh, I may have potentially spoiled it for you but you have to realize this don't be afraid to listen to or to watch any video any podcast any article don't be afraid of spoilers because if you haven't noticed anything in the last decade it's that everybody has their own view of things and what I may not have liked you may love and I only grazed over subjects in this book hopefully when you hear a good book review, it should inspire you either to want to read the book or not want to read the book. But not wanting to read the book should be something that you don't want to do whether you hear the review or not. So that will be the spirit of my reviews. I will not shy away from spoiling the plot. But at the same time, it's very difficult for you to even get the vibe of the book from what I'm saying, especially unless you read the book yourself. So I'm neither promoting this book nor trashing it, but I will say that this book is worth your time if you want to read it. I can honestly say that you won't feel like you wasted your time, a feeling that I try everything not to do. But for the sake of this podcast, I might consider if I start a book and it sucks, I may finish it just so that I can bring it to your listening ears and give you a spot of entertainment for that day. Nevertheless, this is your bookie, T.A. Walker, and I will catch you on the next episode.